Hello and happy Friday or really whatever day it is that you are listening to this episode. Welcome to a brand new episode of From the Honeycomb. We are back after an amazing time off where we went to Belize, but more on that later. So welcome to From the Honeycomb, a podcast that creates a spark of positive energy in your home to design, architecture, yoga, meditation, and travel. I've created this podcast as a place to come for design inspiration and especially to learn about Vastu Shastra with a modern approach. I'm your host, Katerina Borinova, and welcome to From the Honeycomb. Well, welcome to this week's episode of From the Honeycomb, where Jesse and I are sitting down to talk about the unbelievable trip we had to, to Belize. Jesse laughed, kind of smiled at that lame joke I made. So Jesse, welcome back to the podcast and thank you for sitting down to talk to the listeners about our amazing trip to Belize. Yeah, thanks for having me as always. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you. And so as we begin every episode, we take a moment to kind of ground down and think of something we are grateful for. And whatever it is in this present moment, large or small. And so I think I'll go first. And what I'm really grateful for is obviously this trip. Because this trip was a much needed break, reset from some of the stresses of life. I had one of my architecture exams right before the trip and unfortunately that did not go as planned. And so this trip was really just kind of give the opportunity for me at least to step away and just restart, reboot, relax and just be outside in nature and which we really did. We really were out in nature a lot. We saw so many amazing animals. So I would say this trip was much needed and I'm very grateful for that. And and I'm grateful for yeah, grateful for this trip, grateful for having a life that we were able to take time out of to travel. And that that we have careers that that we work hard at, but then also allow us to step away from. So that we're really fortunate for. All right, well, let's jump into our trip to Belize. We're gonna do this in two parts. So we're going to have a land episode. And on the land episode, we're gonna talk about the part of the trip where we were on the mainland of Belize, what we did, what temples we explored. And then we're going to do next week's episode, which is going to be the water episode. And we're going to cover when we went to Kikelker, which is an island off the coast of Belize. And we'll talk more about that part of the trip in next week's episode. So we flew from California to Belize City via Houston, uh, Texas, which I have to say this trip, this travel was pretty great. We left around midnight, Thursday and it was about a what three and a half hour flight to Houston we got to Houston about 8 a.m. and then we flew to Belize City which was another like two and a half hour flight so really nice kind of transition it was a little rough having the red eye but it was good we had no jet lag or anything like that I think that's an hour ahead I think Belize yep. is about, yeah, Belize is about an hour ahead from California. So it's one of the reasons we like going to Central America is the time change. There isn't like when you go to Europe and you spend half a day not knowing what time or a time of day it is. But yeah, so we landed in Belize City and rented a car to drive to our first stay, which was in Burabum, which is about 30 minutes from Belize City and from the airport. And so we stayed there in this incredible house and i think i'll pass it over to you for the house because you got to explore it more than i did because i slept a lot yeah flights were pretty uneventful everything was on time we uh, neither one of us really slept on the plane on the plane either the plane legs so we got so it was a red eye so that means we we got to belize pretty tired it was a pretty short drive from the airport the airbnb was a little difficult to find only because there's just no street signs there's no street name signs and 
the you know there was a little bit of communication translation issue with our host but we did find it It was on an unmarked dirt road pretty far back past several no private property and no trespassing signs that we weren't really sure if we were trespassing or not trespassing but we finally saw the signs the howler house referring to the howler monkeys that are there in belize and so we figured well there can't be a lot of houses named that so yeah it was a great great house it was pretty much a one bedroom uh, built up on stilts so it was a stair a flight of stairs up off of the ground on the lower level was just the stilts uh, because it was literally right on the river and and when the rainy season and they have they have real torrential downpours it keeps the house you know out of the flood area so it was a really cool house had a, had a nice small kitchen had a nice little bedroom with a mosquito net completely around the bed which was nice two separate there's a screened screened in patio off the bedroom and then there was a screened in patio off of like the little kitchen living room area dining room and then an open patio that connected the two and the open patio is the one that that faced the riverbed and yeah it was a great it was a fun little house lots of hammocks we did a little light cooking there we were only there for for one night so we didn't didn't really utilize the house as much as we would have liked to we wanted to stay in that one again on our return leg but unfortunately it wasn't available yeah no this house was really cool like it was unique and then that night well we cooked a little when we arrived but then we got really hungry and our host recommended going down the road to a place called iguana stop which was so worth going to. We had amazing, it's like a pork dish. Yeah, it was smoked. It was like a smoked pork. Best way to describe it would be smoked pork in like a pico de gallo type yeah. salsa, where there's just fresh onions, fresh tomatoes, garlic, some spices, and just a bunch of you know ton of chips, and it was really good and. You can tell that everything was fresh because they don't import. I mean, it was such a, such a small area, such a rural area. There was nothing being imported there except beer, not alcohol. That's the only thing that they get shipped into that place. Otherwise, the the market we went to, which was, seemed to be the only market in the area, you know, it had like a lot of a few things. Like you, it had a whole bin of onions, or it had a whole bin of Roma tomatoes. You know, but it didn't have like three different kinds of onions and four different types of tomatoes and it just didn't have that it was just very very rural in fact it took us a minute to even find cilantro because it's not a commercial type cilantro that it's a type of cilantro where it still had the whole root ball attached to it there was only a few baggies of the cilantro and it's probably because most families just grow their own so it's not something that they would often buy from the store and you also found the cilantro in the fridge it wasn't like just right we realized you just when you go into a store you have to open all the freezer Mm -hmm. like freezer bins Mm -hmm. because that's where all your meats are but there's no really order to it it's kind of what's there is there and all your meat is frozen there yeah. wasn't any meat we found. Well, we ended up finding one place with like meat, meat but it was kind of weird. And that was in Spanish Lookout. That was in that was in still rural, mm-hmm. but not jungle. Like yeah, yeah the Burrito Boom was more just jungle area with sparse houses here and there with a small market. Spanish Lookout was more of a rural between rural and urban, I would say. So they actually had a market with like meats and things like that mm-hmm. where it was more like more where they had trucks you know to do deliveries and stuff yeah but yeah this store was a little small but yeah so but what was cool about the iguana stop back to the first night's dinner is the iguana stop did not disappoint with the iguanas oh yeah they were the biggest iguanas i've ever seen huge i mean how would you even describe them it must have been like what three feet long they're easily three feet long. I'd say the two biggest ones we saw were probably close to four feet from nose to tail. Yeah. Like they're just, but just their body structure, just from head to hind legs, were like a couple of feet long. Yeah. Huge, huge iguanas. Like orangish, greenish iguanas. Mm-hmm. 
and then sitting there at dinner. So they kind of kind of came up to all of us. They're more looking for just food if you dropped food. So then, you know, I kind of freaked out a little bit. Jesse's like, no, it's okay. It's just like they're from like a pigeon or something. It's like, it's okay. But like they just looked <laughs> huge. So we definitely got to watch those. And then it was also cool. So where we stayed in Borobum was also on the Belize River. And the iguana stop was also right on the river as well. And so we got to see a crocodile. Yeah, which is the whole reason we chose that Airbnb. There was a few selections to choose from. And Katarina said, oh, we can stay either in this place that has an alligator nearby or a crocodile nearby and i was like oh that place I'm like if the place has a crocodile that's where i want to stay which i think we may have talked about before yeah i think we may yeah have. so when we got to our airbnb of course first thing i did was went down to the river there was a tree that grew over onto the riverbank and katarina was taking a little of a nap so i'm like well let me climb out to this tree so it went about 10 feet out onto the river and it was just just above a few feet above the water so i climbed out there and looked around for alligators but it was about midday didn't see anything didn't expect to see i mean crocodiles didn't expect to see any crocodiles in the middle of the day so then when we were at dinner that we were and the 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 belize river is pretty slow moving it hadn't rained so it was it was pretty gentle and pretty the surface of the water is pretty smooth we were watching all of these huge iguanas just crawling around just the whole restaurant area and by restaurant it's like a bunch of dirt and then they had some plastic tables and chairs here and there super good food great service but it was it's not like a restaurant restaurant it was so katarina's like oh is that an iguana swimming over there which we you know we talked about like well i wonder if these guys swim or not so we looked over and it was not an iguana swimming it was one of the crocodiles and so I was super excited at that point, and we were pointing it out to some of the other guests having dinner, and, and a couple told us that, yeah, this, yeah they, the uh, crocodile, you know, kind of hangs out here and there, and you know, hadn't seen him in a few days. So that was super cool. They also did mention that the iguanas do swim in the river, which I was pretty surprised by since the, since the river has crocodiles. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was seeing, seeing a crocodile, I mean, it was not close to us. This was, it was probably about 300 feet, 400 feet away, and then just swimming swimming in the river, mm-hmm. like very, very slowly, just kind of just partially probably just going with the flow, you know, the flow of the river. Yeah. Yeah. So that started the trip off with iguanas and a crocodile. And then the following morning, again, I mentioned I kind of slept at this place too much. I just was exhausted coming off a busy work week and then jet lag. So then in the morning though, Jesse, you had fun with some neighbors. Yeah, so in the morning, I usually, even on the weekends at home, I'm usually up by six. I don't sleep real well in the morning. So I was up having some coffee and watching. There's a lot of birds in the trees. And again, we're, we're at a, didn't have really tall trees so trees were at the patio level like the tree canopy was at the same level as the as the house and saw a couple of toucans saw several other birds and i was kind of on the lookout for the iguanas because there was a large what we thought was a large more of a medium-sized iguana in the tree right next to us so i was kind of on the lookout for them i heard like the slapping of leaves like this one tree had big flat hard leaves and I look over and it was a whole troop of howler monkeys, probably 15 feet away, that were just making their way to that tree to start eating. So yeah, so they, they hung out in the tree, hung out in that tree for about 10, 15 minutes. They, there was a couple look like large males and then maybe half a dozen females. I think there's two babies with them. And they did, you know, I guess, what would be typical, you know, monkey stuff. They hung by their tails and, you know, kind of jumped from branch to branch. And then they slowly made their way sort of one or two at a time from one tree to the next. And I was just kind of watching them and drinking my coffee. And they were super quiet. And you couldn't hear them at all other than the noise of the leaves. Other than that, you couldn't, couldn't hear them at all. And so I was just watching and I was really captivated by this one baby monkey. 
and it just seemed to be just have more having fun than, than eating the rest of the troop was eating. And then I heard this really loud banging and running and they had, instead of going around the house to get to the next set of trees, they started jumping on our roof and we had a roof, the roof was just a metal tin roof. And so I jumped out of the hammock and started making my way through like five screen doors to get to Katarina because she was asleep and I was worried that she'd be afraid of, you know, because she was on the other side of the house so she and by herself. So I didn't, just all the monkeys just started clamoring across the roof. It was hysterical. Yeah. And that's, well, that was my alarm clock that morning. I was like, oh, I'm like, that must be, and I kind of figured it was monkeys, but still like it was huge sounds above our heads and then yeah you came in and so I got to watch the monkeys a little bit I did a little yoga stretching on the patio we had breakfast we just you actually made a really great breakfast with like refried beans and some salsa I think you had where we made our own pico oh, gallo yeah. that was really good that's we cooked more in the morning then mm-hmm. and then we kind of just packed up and had to head out because they were yeah for breakfast or maybe just after oh I think it was before breakfast like the largest male howler monkey climbed onto our deck and he was walking along the railing right behind me and so i was trying to get i got a little bit of a video of it and then i got a picture of it super blurry picture of him just right behind me and so then i went back into the house and i came out through the other side he was still just hanging out on our on our deck probably about 10 feet from me and then i realized that i was like oh man i've kind of cut him off from where I was I was in between him and the rest of the troop that had moved on to the the next tree and I was like wow so I started to back up to give him space to transit through but he just went up this tiny tiny little electrical conduit pole up onto the roof and then went went around that way which I thought was super funny but as we were packing up I noticed there was a fairly large monkey poo on the deck and after seeing it I was like I wonder how much monkey poo there is. And there was a lot. Not on our deck. That was the only one on our deck, but like looking at the trees and stuff around us. Like, wow, they really... Or the roof, probably. Yeah, oh, I'm sure the roof's covered. Yeah. Yeah, but it was pretty... And then we think about that, we saw like, oh, there's like a lot of iguana poo. It was like, just like... Yeah. Just there's so much animal life around us and that there is so much excrement. But then that's... That's why it's a forest. That's why it's a jungle because that you know it's just the cycle of the jungle, constantly fertilizing and eating fruit seeds and then distributing the fruit seeds to other parts of the area. So it was really interesting. Yeah, no, that place was really cool. That was mm-hmm. a great start to the trip. So we made our way more west um, on the northern highway, which we were pleasantly surprised that it was all asphalt. Pretty much most of the roads, yeah, there were a few dirt roads we ended up taking, but very well maintained roads. And we ended up finding out that actually Belize gets money, they got a lot of money actually from the European Union a couple of years ago to upgrade all of their transportation. So a lot of the bus stops that you go past will have a little EU, EU flag, and we kind of questioned that. And we ended up asking one of our tour guides, and he's like, I don't know why we got money from the European Union, but we'll take it. Former colony. It's a former colony of, of, England. Great, of England, England when England used to be part of the EU. Yeah. So that's probably, I mean, the Queen's still on their money. Yeah. Probably came to them back during that period, yeah. maybe. Yeah. So there is, but still, it was kind of interesting how, you know, it wasn't the British flag or the UK flag that mm-hmm. was on there. It was the EU. So the EU does fund roads in Belize, we found out, which we thought that was kind of fun. But yeah, the roads were amazing. And as we were driving um, on the highway, we were on it for probably a good hour, but maybe 20 minutes into the being on the highway, we see this police escort just like coming towards us in the middle of the, it's two lanes, one for, you know, what right side and left side coming towards us. And we're like, what is that? So we pull over and I guess it's very common. It's a common sport to do cycling in Belize. And so it was a cycle race. So I don't know, maybe like a hundred cyclists. Well, in that first group, there was maybe 60, 80, just in the first group. 
and then stragglers throughout but yeah, yeah so they just we had to wait and then we ended up finding out from one of our tour guides is it sucks when you get stuck behind them because there's no way to pass them so you have to just kind of keep with the group of the cyclists and sometimes when you're trying to get across the country which we were getting pretty much from the east coast the ocean to almost the guatemala border that's quite a long stretch on the northern highway so yeah so that was kind of fun to see the cyclists there and we made our way to spanish lookout which is a town probably like a half hour from san ignacio where some of the mayan ruins are and so we stayed there at an airbnb which unfortunately this airbnb wasn't exactly as i had imagined i definitely booked it more for the photogenic and Instagrammable appeal to the Airbnb, which I don't think I will ever do again. Um, it was also the Airbnb we paid the most for, I think. I don't know if you knew that, but yeah. It was a unique Airbnb. They sold it off as it's a jungle niche, which after coming from the house in Burel Boom, this house was in a very rural area, like farming rural. And then we went off this dirt road to this like cluster of houses and like cluster of trees and then it seemed more like a man-made jungle than a natural jungle with a lot of animals and so but the house was cool it was very uniquely designed there was a lot of just interesting design aspects mm -hmm. to it but the functionality of it we like to sleep with the windows open like in Burel Boom there was all screen windows everywhere there was not one window you couldn't close and so we ended up at this airbnb that if you like air conditioning definitely stay there because the house is pretty much sealed there were some operable windows in the lower level bedroom which we ended up sleeping in but it was cool the one wall of the main living area was all glass which was pretty cool to watch especially when it rained or when you saw you know you could look out at the jungle quote unquote but i think i was a little disappointed in that airbnb yeah, it definitely did. Whoever photographed it for, you know, whoever the host or if it was the host who photographed it did a great job. It was very interestingly designed. It was not really an A-frame, but almost like an egg shape. It's just a, a pitched. A, it's a gothic arch. Is it? Where it's obviously wider at the bottom mm -hmm. and then it comes to a point. It was about, it's kind of like a gothic arch. Yeah, definitely, definitely arch, not A-frame. There's so many things that didn't work there. The cooktop didn't work. The espresso machine did not work. Mm -hmm. Luckily, the air conditioning worked. It had three air conditioners, mm -hmm. which, as Katarina said, we would have preferred to have to use none of them. It had four. And four. One above the door, one up next to the door, one upstairs, and then one oh, on the lower right. level yeah, bathroom. That, that little portable one yeah. on, the, on the floor. Yeah, it was just wasn't... I mean, we went and did fun things while we were there, but the, the Airbnb itself was, wasn't that great. And didn't really have a place to sit and hang out, which we realized is something we definitely like when we have our on our trips. Yeah, it had two bedrooms, and then it had a dining area with four plastic chairs, and then it had, that was it. So you either, you either sat on a bed or you sat on one of the four plastic chairs. That was literally it for the inside of the house yeah the outside had the hammock which was super high so it was kind of almost uncomfortable to get into in fact katarina still owes me a beer she's like ah uh, I, I will give you a beer if you can even get into that hammock i mean that's how it's how like obnoxiously high it was yeah. and then two plastic lawn chairs on the deck that so there was six plastic chairs that was the extent of sitting in that the entire Airbnb. And it, although it was not really a jungle location, it was still thick in mosquitoes. So if you wanted to go hang out outside, you had to really be, really douse yourself in some kind of insect repellent. Mm -hmm. So yeah, not the greatest area. It did have a super good fast food stop, not fast food, but a wings restaurant uh, near, like literally one minute away. So we had some good food there. We had some good food at the Sisters. Sisters, yeah, the, the following night, which was Sunday, which we didn't think anything would be open, but we ended up having food at Sisters Diner. Yeah, Sisters Your food Diner. was really good. Mine was okay. I kind of went traditional Belizean, but I'd already had that, and it just felt like it was very repetitive, which was chicken, coleslaw, mm -hmm. but you had fajitas that looked phenomenal. Yeah, the fajitas I had were super good. Yeah, for sure. 
And then, so back to Saturday, which was, we made it from Burelbum to Spanish Lookout. And I'm like, hey, you know, we do have a full day tour on Sunday, but it's going to a different temple, different Mayan temple, it was a, actually a palace. So there's another temple in the area, do you think we can make it? It's by the Guatemalan border, it's about 30, it's about 45 minutes from the Airbnb. I'm like, and you said, sure, let's do it. So we drove towards San Ignacio, where we actually stopped at the market. They have a kind of a famous market. We did a little souvenir shopping. We bought some fruit there, huge papayas, like mm-hmm. the biggest papayas I've ever seen. Got some dragon fruit, which was really good for breakfast. And so we headed from San Ignacio Market to the Mayan temple of Shenantinich, which I believe I pronounced Pretty correctly. good, yeah. As best I can do it. Yeah, thank you. And the fun thing about getting to Shunantanich was we had to take a ferry, which when I put the instructions in from San Ignacio Market to the temple, it showed a little boat symbol. And I'm like, what ferry is it? There's no ferry. There's barely a river. I'm like, what? why is it asking me to go on a ferry? And I had told Jesse a while back, promised him that we wouldn't have any ferries on this trip because when we went to Costa Rica a couple years ago, we had a disaster with a ferry, which we'll share eventually one day. But so I kind of said like, hey, it says that we need to go on a ferry, but I don't understand. This place is 20 minutes away from the market. So we headed there and there in fact was a ferry, but you just had to get from one side of the river to another, which was, how would you say, it was like 50 feet wide was Mm -hmm. the river. And so you got onto this little ferry thing and then it was on a cable system, which one of their cables had snapped or something the day before. So they could only take two cars at a time. And then that took you to the other side of the river where you went up a road and our guide got in the car with us, Dino, who was incredible, but he took us, so he sat in the car with us, drove up to the main parking lot area and that's where our tour started with him, where we went up slowly to the city and got to see, we started in like the marketplace area of Shenantanich. We started in the market area and Dino was so insightful. He could recollect so much of the information about what this structure we were looking at is, when was it found, by what professor, from what university, who found it, and just the chronological order and the information he had was really impressive. And so he walked us through the whole part of the city that has been uncovered, although there are some parts, there's actually one part that was being uncovered, and then COVID hit in 2020, and the team from, I believe it was Northern Arizona University. He seemed to mention that university a lot. So the team hasn't been back since due to COVID, but they were uncovering a lot of it. And he walked us through, told us what all the symbols meant, and just was really insightful to sharing what the Mayan civilization was because I know I didn't really know much about the Mayan, Mayans. I didn't really learn about them in school. I don't know if you A little bit in university, yeah. Yeah, but not very much. Like, obviously, I know a lot about Europe and a little bit about Asian dynasties, but this was really interesting to learn about the Mayan temple and how the Mayans lived and kind of why they abandoned the city as well, which sounds like it was due to drought and war. So that was really just really a beautiful i'll post some photos on instagram i plan on kind of sharing our whole trip throughout the next few days and weeks but this temple was just kind of a great overview of what the mayan temples were and how the people lived yeah it was a really large city and we got there towards the end of the day and dino we were his only tour of the day it had rained a little bit earlier in the day and then nobody else had had elected to take him up on his offer. So he's an independent tour guide. So as you pull up to the ferry stop, the ferry is just a hand cranked ferry. So cars pull on, the, the, the ferry operator just cranks the wheel and it pulls you across. So Dino, we were Dino's only tour of the day. And when we got there, actually walked up the slope with him. There was one couple, they were probably early 50s, late probably. 40s. Yeah, probably um, early 50s. It wasn't that steep of an incline, but they had stopped probably about half the way up to catch their breath. Those were the last people we saw. Mm-hmm. We had the whole Mayan city to ourselves. And mm-hmm. you'll see in our pictures, it, it's a large, I don't know how many acres the city was on. Mm-hmm. But when I say we had the whole thing to ourselves, we had this whole city 
to ourselves. We up on the we could go anywhere. We could Dino you know, was telling us we didn't have to wait for you know you want to be polite when somebody's taking pictures. You kind of stop and let them get their pictures in. We had no interruptions. Nobody taking pictures. Nobody other nobody else's discussions. It was just Katarina and I and, and Dino, and it was amazing. His his depth of knowledge on subjects, not only just what he not only his presentation but in questions that you asked him his depth of knowledge and answering questions was really impressive mm-hmm. so if you ever ever find yourself in belize and the just an antonich city you have the opportunity look up dino if, mm-hmm. you, if you can get a tour with him you'll you'll be you'll be glad you did yeah no he was he was really insightful and he also kind of came back to certain questions because as he was telling us about how the Mayans counted and what was really impressive is the amount of mathematics and astronomy that they were so well so knowledgeable in because they built certain structures based on because you know as we were walking through I said you know how do they orient the city like how did they put this building where and he said it was all astronomy so everything was very symmetrical which I thought was really interesting too there was a part where we were standing in the market and he says you see these buildings that they faced east and the other buildings face west and there's also a lot of stories about you know throughout the day the sun was what animal was the sun nighttime was the jaguar nighttime was a jaguar because it traveled the underworld and then the night was it like it wasn't a dragon Oh, it was a bird. It was some sort of bird that wasn't local to the area. I can't I remember something about that. I know. So there was just so much information we learned that day. It was, I mean, yes, I had no idea. But he talked about so the way the sun sets, and then the way you stand from one part of a building to another, the way you see the sunrise. He said, see this opening? This is for the winter solstice, and this is for the summer solstice, and this is for the equi- both of the autumn and spring equinoxes. And so what was incredible is they built all of these structures, not only all manpower, because the Mayans hadn't invented the wheel, they never came up with the idea of the wheel. So this was all done by manpower, and also everything was lined up and built according to astronomy and according to where the sun set or the sun rose, which I thought was incredible to hear. And then he also mentioned that the mines counted in like counts of 20. And so I kind of, you know, I said, well, you know, I know the woman's cycle is 28 days. And so I said, you know, do you know, you know, I don't mind if you, do you mind if I ask this question? I said, how did they work around the woman's cycle? And he said, that's a great question, actually. He said, you know, there's also, there's the 20 days and every 20 days, a new like set of 20 would start. So that was for the month, but then there's also a lunar calendar. So the moon calendar, which was a set of 26 days, actually, which is very close to the 28 day typical menstrual period and so I thought that was really fascinating and he was very he's just like no that's a great question and then he said and then you know we talked a little bit about it later he said you know Katarina you know how you mentioned like the woman's cycle there's also a goddess which I forgot about goddess Ishel which was a Mayan goddess who represented fertility and the womb and so that was kind of interesting and he remembered and he brought that all back so it was really insightful with him and just really knowledgeable i was really really happy with him for sure yeah back to the mayans and their building strategies it was like dino had said that the mayans had not had never invented the wheel so they didn't, they didn't have that to utilize in their construction techniques but he said they also did not have any what he called beasts of burden i mean they didn't have any ox or cows or horses so they didn't have any of those animals' strengths to take advantage of for moving boulders, pulling trees down. So this, it was literally all manpower. It was just human beings doing this. The fact that these structures were built and had started being built in the the two and three and 400 BCs was super impressive just for that date. But then the fact that they had, these structures were built based off of the astrology that Katarina was just talking about, the part I found the most significantly amazing was that they had already, that the Mayans had already mastered astrology by this point because they had started building these structures, you know, 300, 400 BC. But when they started it, they started 
exactly based off of these lunar and solstice and equinoxes. Every single structure was laid out that way from the beginning. It's not like you could, not like nowadays, you can start building and then halfway through go, ah, no, I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. Oh man, we messed that up. We have to move this thing over. It's like they started building it exactly in the right spot, which means they had mastered that level of astrology before they even began to build. Mm-hmm. So who knows how far, how many hundreds of years or thousands you know, of years before that point. Mm-hmm. It's just, I find that it just blows my mind. No, it was incredible. And I'm so glad we made it to Chunantanich because that was really great. And that was a great basis for the following day. We had a tour booked ahead of time, which I'll provide a link in the show notes for all the Airbnbs we stayed in, all the restaurants, all the tours, everything. So if you guys are interested in booking with them, but we had a great tour guide that morning that picked us up from our Airbnb, Carlos, who was also very insightful, but on a different level. We learned a little bit more because we spent all day with him versus Dino, who we just spent you know, at yeah. with him. Yeah. And so Carlos picked us up. We had a full day tour booked with him through belizing.com. And we started the tour with driving from Spanish Lookout back to San Ignacio. There we had our first course, which was learning how to make chocolate and cacao, which was really cool. And I kind of knew a little bit about cacao and chocolate. I had made some years ago in St. Lucia, but this was very much interesting for me to learn about how incredible like cacao was like how powerful cacao was for the Mayan culture the currency they used was cacao beans yeah cacao beans was a form of currency for them they also made ceremonial cacao which they would take cacao and grind it which we got to practice grinding it on this it was like a it was a like a lava rock like a stone stone lava rock kind of a big plate and with this stone not like a rolling like a, not like you know the rolling thing the rolling yeah. pin what's it called yeah rolling pin yeah and so we got to grind the cacao beans and you could just see just how it was made and then we drank the ceremonial cacao out of coconuts coconut shells yeah. coconut shells and so that was really just amazing to hear how sacred the cacao was also because you really only drank it for ceremonies and it seemed like only the wealthy obviously could drink it because it was so like so not expensive but what's that it's so rare because back back in the mayan days they rarely found the cacao tree and one tree would produce one fruit Mm -hmm. it's not like the cacao trees nowadays where they can farm it and one cacao tree you know will give hundreds of fruits in one season this was one tree would produce one fruit per season per year so if, if you imagine then how rare that would be to then go out and find these different trees because then they the mines struggled with cultivating this and bringing this plant back and trying to grow it and then they would plant would grow and never fruit to learn how to pollinate and it was just it was a really really difficult process so the bean itself was very valuable because then they also had storage issues they like you could they could get the bean they could get the fruit but then even if they could get it in quantities and they had to learn how to store it in quantities because then it would start to rot and it was just like just trial and error and trial and error so by the time they perfected it it was so difficult that it would became very it became a currency it became a very sought after thing that only the wealthy could enjoy and it was only a very ceremonial it wasn't an everyday thing although one thing that was interesting to learn about too is once the europeans came and then they took the cacao back to europe and of course they added sweeteners sugar that kind of changed it which our guide was really kind of like impressed by us where we didn't ask he said do you want honey in your cacao or anything like that or do you want to just drink it raw as is and you and i both like bitter tastes so that was actually really i felt kind of like yeah because we took it from Katarina and I took it literally from just the raw bean and we ground it ground it up and we had we had help and we got it pretty far but we didn't like we got it down to where it wasn't bean anymore but like it, it it had it had like a natural it has a natural oil the cocoa butter so it got we got it into a paste but then 
they kept working on it and it actually turned into like almost like a magic trick they kept grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding and then it, it turned into like Hershey's cocoa syrup like just right in front of us it was it was amazing just at how it just it got to a certain point where when they were working the stone with just the right amount of friction and the, and the right speed it turned it into a liquid paste it was, and they would scrape that from the stone and they put it into our cocoa she- our coconut shells and they added just some hot water mm-hmm. and that's what we drank that's how we drank it they didn't add tea or milk or you know Sugar. go and get something out of the refrigerator it was hot water off of a cat out of a kettle and then this the paste we had just made and but they would only let us take it to that point so so like Katarina said he asked if we would want any honey in there to sweeten it and we said no thank you we enjoy it the way it is and he says oh he says I'm very happy to hear that that's how we enjoy it but he did say that for them the the processing of the cacao is a religious experience and that to the unordained which obviously Katarina and I are not ordained in their religion we were not able to taste the cacao and in the way that they would perform it ceremonially mm-hmm. so we were able to that's kind of like we came to the point they ground it down to the paste and then they put it in the hot water for us and then that's kind of where that's the limit we could reach they did bring us some chocolate that was prepared in a factory for us to enjoy and taste something that's similar to what they would eat in their ceremonies but it was not their actual chocolate that they make from the bean because again we we don't meet their religious standards and of course we were absolutely fine with that we wouldn't Mm -hmm. expect anything different but i thought that was really interesting yeah and another thing about this tour that was fun is we did everything it was just us it was just us in a classroom with this guy and this woman teaching us about cacao which was really great and then yeah throughout the whole day we were it was just us really at all the ruins and even at the next class that we took so we ended up jumping in the car with carlos and we went a little further south into a mayan village where we went to a woman's collective center there we got to make our own corn tortillas yeah they uh, they showed us how they take corn dried corn kernels so this, again this is like going back to the original mayan culture of you have to build and the mine culture was, was huge as we learned was you know it was just tens upon hundreds of thousands of people in these cities so that that's a lot to feed like nowadays you don't we don't really most of us don't appreciate the logistics it takes to feed cities like we just go to the store we buy what we want we come home we cook it we go to the restaurant we eat it back then these cities were self-sufficient they, you know that they had to grow their own food and so and even in off seasons you had to have food for your people so cindy who's who works at the women's collective who was who was our guide through the day she showed us how they take the dried corn kernel and they we boiled it in this pot where they add lime to it add yeah lime mm-hmm. to it which helps a few things it helps soften the kernel and then you, it gets to a point where you can peel the shell around the each kernel of corn and down to, so then you have you're just left with just this sort of a, an engorged kernel of corn so we had a bowl of those you rinse that out really well and then it's on this very similar stone grinding plate with a, sort of a long rectangular grinding stone this one was made out of granite where they the uh, they did have a off to the side they did have an, a lava rock style mm, one yeah, yeah, that they true. showed us but this one the one that we used for the corn was out of with granite and it had been passed down for many generations and they said that's that's just how that those stones are kept they're just they're made in the family and then they just keep passing down and down and down but yeah we ground the corn and that was just using corn and then a little bit of water and it was just grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding and you, you scrape it all up back into a pile and you come back up and you take a little bit and grind it and grind it and grind it and we did really well at that so to the point where we made we made our own corn tortillas which were so and, and they had a huge plate a huge piece of pottery over an open fire so they had the open fire and a cauldron which is where they we boiled the corn and then this big pottery plate over the open fire and that's what we cooked our tortillas on and we form, we form, we sort of ground the corn, and then we form them down, press them down in tortilla shape, and they showed us how to seal the edges, which never really occurred to me. They had to mm-hmm. seal that little thin edge 
around the edge of the tortilla, but then they showed us why. Put it on the pottery plate or the fire and it would poof up and they would kind of pat it and get the air to circulate until the whole thing was like a puffed pastry. And, and then we would take it off the plate and it would flatten back out. And they put a little bit of coconut oil, melted coconut oil, and a little bit of salt on the tortillas. And we ate, ate those as a snack and they were so good. So good, so fresh. And they said a lot of like snacks for the Mayan children or if they were running around all day or they were hungry, this is something that would be easily prepared for them is just tortillas, which sounds like the woman from the morning they woke up. There was a woman who would make these little corn tortillas and... Yeah, if anybody got hungry, they would stop by. A little coconut oil, salt, yeah. but it was very delicious. Yeah, they because they, the cornmeal, what you call that dough, mm-hmm. but the tortillas would not last. You may get tortillas to last a day, they said, but otherwise they just start to ferment. So mm-hmm. every day it's taking that rock hard kernels of corn. Every day it's boiling that. From, you know, they start in the morning, they boil it, and they, they make the dough, and then throughout the then they make whatever tortillas they think they need for the day. And during that process, like Katerina was saying, the kids would come up, they would take that, and they, sometimes they may sprinkle a little spice in there, but then they take that tortilla while it's still fresh and hot, and they ball it up into like a little ball, and then that's what they give the kids to, to snack on, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Yeah, and so from that we went to another building where we got to make pottery and both of us for the first time we got to sit at a pottery wheel which of course they told us you know back during the Mayan days they didn't have pottery wheels so what they did was they would take dough and roll it until it was almost like a snake shape and then they would spiral coil it coil it yeah coil it into whatever vase bowl plate shape they needed and then they would you know fill in the little gaps between the coils but of course with modern technology now they use the pottery wheel and so again we were the only two so we really got to sit down enjoy and what looks like a very relaxing like task was actually very stressful like very stressful sitting at the pottery wheel. I don't know if any of you have sat at a pottery wheel, but once you see someone who does it, who knows what they're doing, it looks so relaxing and like, wow, just gentle. You're just moving the clay with your hands, but the amount of pressure points you have to put and you kind of have to know geometry and what you do when you do it, what it will affect the clay. And so that was really interesting, really fun kind of a thing we did. So that was, that was good. Yeah, that pottery was was really fun. Yeah, and, and as I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head now. The gentleman who helped yeah. us. I have no idea. But as as he was finishing off his piece, because Cindy talked about what they do with their pottery, because it, it's a, it's an overall collective, so that they they use it to sell souvenirs to help fund different enterprises for the different families in the community. So for them, making the pottery is a source of income. So when we sat down and he's finishing his first piece and he's explaining as he goes, like, you know, you put pressure here and you guide your hand there and you kind of support one hand supports the other and this and that. And I did say, I said, wow, I said, that looks so relaxing. I'm like, wow, I would get a pottery wheel for the garage. I'm like, just to go out and make pieces. And, and he, he kind of laughed. He said, yeah, I hear that a lot, that it looks very relaxing. Katerina went first, and man, it went from a, what looked like a very relaxing, sort of therapeutic, meditation-esque kind of activity. It went, it turned into what looked like torture, <laughs> like what you'd make somebody do. Like you know, you're gonna tell us this information, or we're gonna make you make pottery. Yeah, like it, it, it looked torturous. Yeah, because I felt so bad because when you mess up. They have to toss the clay to the side and you had to start over because when I, my clay ended up being a blob, we had to start over again, which I felt really bad because then they're like, well, they'll reuse, the, they'll recycle the clay. They did recycle, of course, there was no waste. Yeah. But yeah, so that was a little intimidating. And so then from the pottery making course, then we sat down at lunch and had the best tamales I have ever had in yep. my entire life. Yeah, they were some amazing yeah same here best tamales i've ever had chicken some kind of chicken tamales and there was a coleslaw and a sweet potato salad sweet potato salad and a little green salad and a plantain chips yeah those are really good and some awesome habanero 
hot sauce, like freshly made habanero. Yeah. Which is not native to the region, but they, they incorporate now in, into their foods. And it was, yeah, it was phenomenal food. Every single speck of food on my plate. And then for dessert, which I was hoping to try some sort of Belizean dessert while we were out at dinner a few times, but nothing ever was on the menu. It was like, oh, maybe some ice cream or some chocolate cake. But we had for dessert here, it was pumpkin, which I was surprised that they had, but it was sugar like what would you call that that was like, like a stewed pumpkin stewed pumpkin yeah it was in sugar yeah really yeah good. sugar and cinnamon yeah i don't know and i don't know if if it was pumpkin pumpkin i know they said yeah. pumpkin but i don't know if it was literally pumpkin or if it was just some type of gourd that had like a mm-hmm. fleshy meat but yeah it was just you you basically just peeled you just use a spoon and just kind of scoop out this sugary cinnamony just oh just deliciousness it was really good it was really really good it was it was hard to not want to like ask like can we go lay in a hammock yeah. for a little yeah. bit but from there we headed to the mayan palace of Cajalpesh, which was just a little heading towards back east on the northern highway in san ignacio and this palace was the palace the main palace it was associated kind of with Shunantanich, but it wasn't. No, no, it wasn't. Yeah, that's right. No, it wasn't. So there were, even though these two like ruins were about, let's say, 30 miles from each other, mm-hmm. they weren't exactly associated. So the Shunantanich was a village, and well, and back to that is they found the body of a woman in one of the ruins, and it looked like it was she was a queen. They didn't identify who her, she was or what her name was. But she was in a very royal, like, burial. She had a really royal burial. So then in Cajalpech, we saw the palace. And there, we really, it was kind of, there were little marketplaces. And, you know, Carlos showed us this is where the lower class would be, middle class. But then this is where the palace was. This is where their parliament, trading, administrative, everything was kind of in this palace. And we Mm -hmm. got to see the palace bedrooms we got to see where the king would sleep where he went to meditate and also this palace was built on astrological layout Mm -hmm. where yes if you stood here and here this is where you would see the sunrise during the summer solstice the winter solstice and so coming from Shenantanich to Cajalpech Cajalpech was definitely a more intimate experience. We got to see really what like the day of a life would be for the king and where his quarters were and how you would move through the spaces. And what I really liked what Carlos did was we would get to the top of one of the structures and we would look out or he said, and this is where the king would sit and the administrators would come or people would come with trades. Now sit and think and just imagine what that all looked like. And so we really took a lot of moments throughout the whole palace, walking through the ruins, imagining what the day-to-day life was. And, you know, he said, and this is where the market would be, and here's who would be seated here. And it was pretty spectacular, I'd say. Both. I'm glad we did both, both of the ruins. Yeah. The palace was really interesting. Talked some more about the fall of the Mayan Empire and uh, kind of how they started progressing to more and more drastic measures to end the drought. And obviously, Katarina and I, living in Southern California, we're, we're familiar with what you know drought means. Although to us, it means higher prices for water. You know, it means you know restricted days for irrigation or more stricter building codes. But in the Mayan days, it meant an entire civilization is at risk. And that's, and that's to, to everybody we talked to's best estimate is the drought led to war. The war led to just mass abandonment of these, of these cities and temples to, to, to at the end where, you know, the, the lower classes lost faith in the upper class because the upper class you know, in those days was were kings and queens and priests and astrologers. Yeah, you know, astrologers and all of them would be you know, all of these upper class people would say, Oh, all we have to do to bring the rain is do this, this and this. Pray and, to this and, God. and so the so the people, the lower class would do this, this and this, or they they'd make the sacrifices or they'd bring you know, they would do this or do that, and then when it just didn't work anymore that there was a peasant uprising. And that 
led to you know war and it led to abandonment of the of the cities that uh, was pretty impressive that was no and it was interesting too is you couldn't you know carlos said you couldn't move through the classes because i said what if someone in the lower class showed to be really intellectual really smart then what usually happened to those people or if it was someone in the middle class wanted to get to the upper class is you know someone from maybe the upper class would see someone in the lower class you know showing a lot of potential and say oh you know what the gods are asking that we sacrifice you to for whatever reason and so then they would kill the person off that way they couldn't you know raise through the ranks or possibly cause res- revolution anything like that or revolt and so that was kind of interesting to hear is their excuse was well a god needs you a god asked to sacrifice you and then we'll have rain or we'll have food or we'll have whatever so it was kind of brutal but 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 it wasn't also it always wasn't about you know insecurities of the upper class just it was a culture and a time where one you know they believed in the next life so it wasn't always a punishment or retribution sometimes it was it was looked at as a transition so because we talked about you know something like the mayan games that they played we looked we went to a few ball courts and there's some evidence that when teams would play against each other the losing team would be be sacrificed to the gods but then there was also a lot of evidence that showed the captain of the winning team was the one who was sacrificed as a reward he was sacrificed to go to the next life to be that next you know reincarnation into that that next life form in some cases when they used the word sacrifice it was it was a positive thing mm-hmm. So yeah, I thought, I thought it was it was just a different mindset. I think that's one thing that Dino talked about, which which I I'm not the most religious person, and so I've often had this thought too. But one thing Dino pointed out is he said, "Hey, when you have ten thousand people and you're the upper class and you need to control them, you need a means of control." And he's like, "In the Mayans, you know, you use the gods and said this god needs this and that god needs that and and then that's how they ruled those people they didn't have you know that was their law they didn't have a law that says can't murder somebody didn't have a law that says you you can't speed there wasn't a book of laws the law was there's these gods and if you don't you know if you don't do what we tell you to do if we don't tell you what the gods want you to do and you don't do that you know, there's gonna be famine, or your whole family's gonna die, or whatever. So it was interesting. No, that that absolutely was interesting. And so yeah, and so that pretty much kind of sums up our land because then the following day at the end of this tour, we had went back to Spanish Lookout to stay at our Airbnb. I guess to conclude, I mean, we had quite a eventful evening that night where in the middle of the night, we heard some sort of like, I heard this noise and I kind of woke up Jesse. I said, Jesse, like, cause we had windows open cause we wanted some fresh air and it was only screens protecting us, you know, from the outside. And I said, I hear some noise. And so Jesse woke up and you know, you listened and it was this like weird, just like, I can't even explain. It was like this just crazy like howl with like a like a who at the end at the end yeah it was like this howl with a who and we're just like what is that so we ended up closing up the windows turning on the ac because we're like i don't know what could come through those screens which we ended up finding out it was a howler monkey yeah that's what kind of what we thought what we thought but the howler monkeys we saw in burio boom were just so quiet and small this thing was unbelievably loud I mean, just to the point where it filled the entire area. Like, it it was deafening. It was so loud. Yeah. And if you really want to know what it sounds like, just go into YouTube and search on Belize Howler Monkeys and listen. And I say Belize because they they sound different in different regions. Like, we had Howler Monkeys in Costa Rica. And, mm-hmm. and when, when, even when I was looking this time, like, oh, I wonder, like, just to see for sure that's what it was. They don't sound the same in different regions, but mm-hmm. if you look up Belizean howler monkeys, that's what it was. I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah, it was unbelievably loud, and yeah. I don't know if they were ten feet away or a thousand feet away. Well, they weren't a thousand feet away. That's- they were within the trees around us. I, in fact, I even 
outside of our window was our car. So I even like clicked, locked and unlocked our car so the lights would come on and flash. The car didn't beep, didn't make like your classic beep when you locked it. This car, like when you lock it, it flashes the lights and then folds the side mirrors closed. It was a Kia Sportage. So it didn't beep, but it did make a bunch of flashing lights. Didn't phase the howler monkeys, not even a little bit. Like mid howl, they didn't slow down, stop, pause, nothing. They just did not care. Mm-hmm. No, they didn't. But so yeah, so it was an eventful night. But yeah, I think this concludes our land portion of Belize. And yeah, if you tune in next week, we're going to talk about our trip to Kikalkur, which is an island off the coast of Belize. And the incredible animals we saw there, we even snorkeled with some manatees. So yeah, if you like this episode, please give it a heart or thumbs up and click the follow button so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. And follow me on Instagram at From the Honeycomb Podcast. Thank you again for listening. And see you next Friday.